It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, James Rapine. Jake Lisko going to be on this podcast as well for segments two and three. But for segment one, you're stuck with me. And man, oh man, do we have a lot to get to on today's show. The Bengals closing in on a quarterback. That's right, a veteran quarterback. The very thing that Zach Taylor said they wouldn't do a few months ago. It looks like they're going to do. We'll get the latest on that, plus more roster moves by the Bengals. And then Jake's going to talk with Brandon Thorne, who's an offensive line expert, someone that uh, doesn't think highly of the Bengals' offensive line, but is going to to come in and give his uh, objective opinion on what the Bengals could look like in the trenches this season. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, Podbean, it doesn't matter. Locked on Bengals is the place to be. Tell your friends about it. I don't know of another Daily Bengals podcast. We're coming at you five days a week with the latest and greatest Bengals news. So make sure you subscribe. Leave us a five-star review if you're able to. We would certainly appreciate it. But without further ado, let's dive on in. There's plenty of news to get to. The Bengals were busy on Wednesday afternoon. Not only did head coach Zach Taylor have his first press conference in a couple of months, a Zoom call with reporters, including myself, but they also made some roster moves and a couple of interesting reports out there about the Bengals as well. Let's dive on in with the main headliner here. Brandon Allen is expected to sign with the Bengals this weekend. The five-year veteran quarterback, sixth-round pick out of Arkansas, Back in the 2016 NFL Draft, set to reunite with Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network. This is no surprise if you, if you listen to Tuesday's podcast and we talked about what Jeff Hobson wrote. And it makes a lot of sense to bring in a, a veteran. But more on that in just a second. By the way, that's subject to COVID-19 testing, of course, and a physical. Assuming that stuff gets done, Brandon Allen will be your newest member of the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals also made some other moves on Wednesday, including agreeing to terms. And this is Tom Palacero again. He's just all over it. They're expected to re-sign kicker and punter Tristan Viscano, which you remember him from last year. He was in training camp and Viscano now joins the team. And again, that's pending a physical and he's got to undergo the COVID-19 testing and all of that stuff, but it gives them an extra leg. And here's the other thing. Brandon Allen and Viscano, they both kind of go together in a sense that this is insurance. In 2020, with COVID-19, if you're an NFL team, you need multiple backups. And obviously, you would never carry a, a backup punter and a backup kicker. But you might do that now, specifically on the practice squad, now that the practice squad's expanded. It makes sense there. Because what, what happens if Kevin Huber gets COVID-19 three days before the game and he tests positive for it? The same goes... For Randy Bullock. So I, I think that's just the Bengals doing what they need to do to cross their T's and dot their I's. But that wasn't all. They were not done. And in fact, the the shock, the biggest shock to me 
wasn't Brandon Allen and the rumor that, or the report rather, that he's going to sign with the Bengals. It's Ryan Glasgow. The Bengals released him. He failed his physical, and the former fourth-round pick in the 2017 NFL Draft is now a free agent. And it's a shame because Glasgow looked like a beast his first year. He really looked like he was coming into his own a bit and injuries the past two years to his knee. And it stinks. It's unfortunate. And you never know, maybe later on in the year, if he's healthy, he could rejoin the Bengals. But Ryan Glasgow was waived uh, after failing a physical, um, which isn't super shocking from a health standpoint. But to me, it's shocking from a, a roster standpoint because I th- certainly thought he was going to battle Rennell Wren and Andrew Brown for a roster spot. And if you're Brown and Wren, you feel a little better about yourself, right? And so we'll see what happens there. Um, two other points of, of emphasis I want to mention here before I dive into my, my big takeaway. Uh, Alex Redman was placed on the non-football injury list, and running back Rodney Anderson and wide receiver Damian Willis were both put on the physical, physically unable to perform list. So y- yesterday, I, we, we looked at the wide receivers on the podcast, and it's pretty obvious that Damian Willis fighting for a job. You know, Rodney Anderson, Alex Redman, all three of those guys are really fighting to make this roster. And uh, not, not the start you want uh, is Redman, like I said, on the non-football injury list, and Anderson and Willis on the pup list. All right. So with that being said, I think there's a big takeaway here. I do. And and it it may sound silly and you may say, James, you're out of your mind. Why are you hyping up something as meaningless as a Brandon Allen signing? But I love this signing and it really has zero to do with Brandon Allen. You see a couple of months ago, Zach Taylor sat in a Zoom conference call and he said, we're all set. He, He looked right at all of us reporters and I get it was virtually. We said, no, we're all set at quarterback. It was after they released Andy Dalton and they had drafted Joe Burrow. He was confident in his guys. And while I still believe he's confident in his guys, this is the thing I like about this coaching staff and really the Bengals as a whole over the past six months. It feels like they're willing to adapt. Adapt to the changes. Oh, COVID-19 could derail our entire quarterback room. What if two of our quarterbacks get test positive for COVID-19 on the Wednesday before a game? What are we going to do? We need a fourth guy. We need to bring in a fourth guy. And they didn't hesitate. I mean, they went and did it. When they realized what was going to happen and what could potentially happen with COVID-19, they adjusted. And and that's going to be such an important part of this season, not just for the young teams and a young team like the Bengals, but every team. So a a lot of us, we look for signs, right, with Zach Taylor. And it was really hard last year because of the injuries. And on one hand, you could say, well, they played really hard. On the other hand, why the hell aren't they throwing the ball to Joe Mixon more? You you know, there's, there's a bunch of things, right? The one thing I will say about this coaching staff is... They appear, and it starts with Zach Taylor, obviously, to be able to roll with the punches, to be able to adapt. So much in life isn't, you know, when you have success, it isn't what happens. It's how you react to it. Good, bad, and different. It's how you react, big picture. And it seems like, and I was in on that Zoom call today, Zach didn't look super stressed. And I wrote last week on allbengals.com, I think the Bengals, no preseason, I think it is... The worst thing for a team like this, a young team that has a bunch of free agents, that has guys coming off of injury, that has uh, unproven guys, that has a a rookie number one overall pick at quarterback with no reps, literally no reps yet on the field with his teammates. So I, I think that when your leader is willing to adapt and he isn't rigid and he isn't stressed and he seems calm and he's willing to roll with the punches and he understands that there are certain things that he can't control, I think that can rub off on the rest of the team in a good way. 
Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Of course he cares. I'm not trying to say Zach Taylor was nonchalant. Of course he's working his ass off. But he's going to, and we hear this a lot, and it's much easier said than done, control what you can control. How many of us actually do that? I struggle with that in my life all the time. So the fact that Zach Taylor's like, okay, we got to bring in another quarterback, and we're, we're going to bring in Brandon Allen. And that's just a small example. Uh, one other takeaway from his press conference today, he talked about going live in training camp multiple times. And by live, it's tackling in 11-on-11, tackling drills, hitting. And... I've covered five Bengals training camps, five Beng- four or five Bengals training camps. Uh, so this will be fifth or sixth this year. And they never go live. They just, modern day NFL, it, it just, it, it's not even like 09 hard knocks where they're doing the Oklahoma drill or, or, or 2013 hard knocks, actually, when they're doing the Oklahoma drill. I still think they did it then. I was at camp a couple times then, but I wasn't covering it. Um, it but the, the point being is with no preseason game, Zach's like, yeah, we're going to have to hit. We're going to have to get physical. And no, that doesn't mean Joe Burrow's going to get hit. I know we joked about that uh, tongue-in-cheek a little bit on the podcast. But I, I do think that the, the rest of these guys, he, he said, I, I asked him, how important is it for the offensive line to hit and be physical? And he's like, the offensive line, it's important for the whole team. And so so I like what I'm seeing from Zach Taylor. You know, we'll see how it translates in 2020 and how it translates to the field. But adaptability is important, and he's showing that. So far in this unprecedented, ridiculously awful, I have no idea what to expect offseason. All right, that's going to do it for me, but stay tuned. Keep it locked right here. Don't change it. Don't do anything. The podcast is not over. Up next, Jake Lisko sits down with Brandon Thorne, and they break down all things Bengals offensive line. How much does the preseason matter? Can these young guys really develop? Is there any hope for the Bengals in the trenches in 2020? Jake Lisko and Brandon Thorne will discuss that next right here on Locked On Bengals. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Bengals fans, as James teased in the open, I'm now joined by Brandon Thorne, who does his work over at Establish the Run and has his own podcast, the Trench Warfare Podcast, which focuses, of course, as you can tell from the title, on trench play in the NFL. Brandon, you've got a newborn. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going pretty good. You know, it's, uh, just trying to cope with, you know, minimal sleep and uh, just trying to get kind of, you know, used to having a, another little one in the house. So it's it's a process. I want to say that. But it's good, man. We're, we're thankful to have another baby. Yeah. Very cool stuff. And we are here today to talk about the Bengals offensive line. You recently did an offensive line tier list for every position in the NFL And let's just get it out of the way and start with Bobby Hart, who you, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe you had two tiers with only one player in the tier. One of them was Zach Martin by himself, of course, at the top end. Mm -hmm. And the other one, Bobby Hart, the only right tackle in your sixth tier. Is there any hope here? He 
Bengals fans will tell you had a better finish to the season where he was pass blocking a little bit better, of course, against a little bit worse competition than he will face uh, most of the time, I would say. But should the Bengals be pining their hopes, pinning their hopes, I guess, on, on somebody to emerge? Or is there any hope for Bobby Hart? Um, I, I mean, at this point in his career, you know, I, I don't see him really changing a whole lot. Now, I don't, you know, ever really like to, you know, discount somebody's ability to evolve, um, you know, and get better. But, you know, I mean, we've seen him, he's in entering his sixth season. You know, I kind of think he is what he is at this point. He's a guy who, who doesn't play with very sound fundamentals or technique, obviously. And I think, you know, that really shows up in pass protection and it has since he's been in the NFL, a lot of ugly reps where he just gets broken down and then just, you know, demolished really. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Um, and, you know, so I, I wouldn't definitely not take a bet uh, even with favorable odds that, you know, he's going to all, all of a sudden become, you know, even a below average player um if he does great but you know i i wouldn't count on that no he actually had some pretty good performances from a production perspective in the last half of 2019 where he got a lot better in pass protection and i guess my question is is that a product of of competition of scheme changes getting the ball out more quickly in those games or was there anything that he was doing differently in those games that you noticed when you were putting together your tier list? Um, just, you know, I could think of, for instance, like the New England game. Um, I watched that one pretty recently. You know, I, I noticed the offense, at least in that game, especially, they were doing a lot of things where, you know, a lot of RPOs or yeah. uh, moving the pocket, you know, play action. Um, and, you know, just things that were moving the pocket, really, and, and taking a lot of pressure off of the line in general as pass protectors. So I think partly, you know, for his performance rising was a lot of time. I mean, he wasn't having to block a guy one on one on an island um, mm -hmm. or anything close to it. You know, a lot of the times he was blocking down and just kind of covering up a interior rusher while, um, you know, they, they actually ran some extra lineman stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and a lot of tight ends near the line of scrimmage. So, and I think that that was the case in several of the games, you know, they, they adapted to credit on coaching and they provided him with a lot of help. Um, and I think that that, you know, kind of resulted in his maybe production, if you want to call it that, you know, being a little bit better and not getting beat, you know, cleanly as much as he normally would if he had more responsibility. It was especially prevalent in the passing game where, yeah, if you're doing things to protect your offensive line, which the Bengals did frequently last year, you mentioned RPOs, they do a lot of play action. They started finding ways to run the ball to take the pressure off of the offensive line in pa pure pass blocking situations because that's where they were really exposed. In those, as PFF would put it, true pass blocking sets where it's like a two second protection, two to three second protection, where it's not a quick set, where you're not down blocking those were the places where the Bengals looked bad when the other team knew they were passing. And so it'll be interesting for Bengals fans, I guess, because they're, they're, I think largely hoping that Fred Johnson can emerge and unseat Bobby Hart. But let's move on to one of the Bengals free agent acquisitions. The Bengals, of course, unnaturally active in free agency, spending a lot on the defensive side of the ball, especially, and maybe less than fans would have liked to have seen on the offensive line. 
The one guy that add here is Xavier Suafilo, who is at one point a 33rd overall pick. He has not lived up to those expectations, but as a reserve for Dallas, was a pretty good reserve, I would say. That said, he's getting paid very low-end starter money, and expectations aren't terribly high, but he does bring some things to this team, potentially, in terms of a scheme fit and in terms of being a power run blocker. He was in your sixth tier as well, I believe. Talk a little bit about Xavier Suofilo. Yeah, so he's a guy that I've always been kind of intrigued by when he was with Houston and just some of the he has really impressive flashes, but the problem is he's never been able to string those together in any meaningful way. But his flashes are there in turn like what's really impressive to him about him is really his sheer size, his build, and the power he's able to generate with his hands. He has very heavy hands. Um, and he really can, you know, kind of snap the head back of defenders at times and, and kind of have these wow plays. Um, but, and, you know, he also gets over aggressive, um, on top of that, and it can lead to some ugly reps where he's whiffing, you know, in pass protection and just straight up missing his intended target. Um, and he's just kind of, I think, you know, I think his mental processing is low average in terms of how quickly he recognizes games and, and, you know, exotic blitzes and stuff like that. And it just kind of makes him play slow. Uh, so, you know, there's 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 some positive there in, in, in the run game as well, just kind of the movement he can generate at times. You know, I think it will be an asset to somebody like Trey Hopkins. I'm thinking of a scenario where, say, it's inside zone or something, and they have a, you know, shaded nose tackle, and they need to get that nose tackle over, you know, to kind of make the block easier for Hopkins. Um, like, things like that, I think he can assist him because I think Hopkins' weakness is kind of his size and his strength. So. Yeah. I can kind of see the logic here, you know, to why you want him in there, because I think he can actually help Hawkins. But when you kind of isolate him as an individual player, that's why I had him in tier six, like with that line of thinking, because I just think, you know, from the beginning to the end of the season, I think we're going to see that type of player, um, which tier six is marginal. Um, I think he has a chance to get up to tier five for sure. I I put it maybe at 50-50 even. Um, I think it's reasonable to expect that. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I wasn't comfortable. I'm more comfortable kind of, you know, betting low or, you know, hedging low on him. And then, you know, if he, you know, rises up here, that's great. And I think it's possible. So, um, you know, he's, you know, you could certainly do worse. I mean, even though it is, he has a tier six guy, there's actually some, some intrigue there where he can rise a tier and provide some positives in the midst of more negatives. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And and one of the things that we looked at is the Bengals started to pull a lot when they started to get their running game going last year. How does Xavier Soafilo fit as a pooling guard in the run game? I think he's pretty decent as a puller. You know, he really, uh, you know, can he has a lot of square power. Uh, and that's just the ability to line up and fit on his intended target in space particularly at the first level. I don't think you're going to see him necessarily climbing to the second and the third levels okay. with much success very often. Um, he's not like a David DeCastro or, well, certainly obviously he's not yeah. in the run game, but you know, that's like high end. Yeah. Um, but he's not, uh, he, he has the ability to kick out the end men on the line of scrimmage and block defensive ends. Maybe if the linebacker is up, you know, at the first level filling, He's able to get on him, but I think if he gets in too much space, it falls apart pretty quickly because um, he's 
you know, I don't think he is the, the most agile guy um, okay. in space, and he doesn't take great angles either. So, you know, his hit rate in space, um, I don't think is very good. But, you know, the, you could still use him there, um, you know, if against certain looks when you know that the end man on the line of scrimmage needs to be picked up, you know, those kind of specific scenarios, I think he could do well there. So he has a little bit of, you know, positive, uh, a little bit of positive aspects to his game, you know, but it's limited as well. You know, he has a lot of limits to this. So I'm trying to, you know, point out the, the positives in certain scenarios and also kind of also mention that he has you know, limits to all of it as well. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. You're talking about a guy who who has clear strengths and weaknesses that you've outlined here with with some good power, some pulling ability, but not going to be great in space. He's going to be over aggressive sometimes in his past sets. He's he's going to have issues there, and and that, that's all a little concerning when you have a rookie quarterback. And Jim Turner is a guy as a coach that I want to talk about a little bit here. Maybe coming up in just a second, we'll talk Jim Turner and Trey Hopkins, the other side of the offensive line, and some of the guys that are working with Duke Manyweather, because I think the Bengals have two players currently working with the esteemed offensive line uh, guru, let's say. So let's get into that coming up next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I am here with Brandon Thorne. We're talking offensive line. You can find Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. He does some work for Establish the Run. He does his own trench warfare podcast covering really both sides of the trenches. We had a really cool conversation today about the Von Miller ghost move, was it? The uh, little pass rushing move that's coming out and a little bit more prevalence around the NFL with the pass rusher summit going on. Is, is that Did I get that right? Ghost Ghost technique, was it? Yeah, yeah, you got it right. It's uh, definitely a unique technique that, you know, the whole idea of calling a ghost technique is, you know, you basically present something to the blocker and then all of a sudden it, dip, it disappears, you know, because you dip underneath his yeah. response, his strike or his punch. And, um, yeah, Von Miller's kind of the, you know, the, the, the originator of it, I guess. There, there, he may have learned a little bit from DeMarcus Ware, but mm. – um, yeah, I mean, so he's kind of the guy that does it. And then you see it from Frank Clark, uh, Khalil Mack, and a couple other guys that think D Ford, you know, all guys that have been to his summit. So there's definitely a trend there. It's pretty cool to, to kind of find that on tape and talk about it. Yeah, and, and it seems like all those guys have some quickness and, and in some cases some yeah. length to their games that really lend toward the ability to engage that contact and, draw the punch from the offensive lineman and then pull away from it. And, you know, obviously it requires a lot of athleticism, but we're here to talk Bengals offensive line. The Bengals have two guys, to my knowledge, Billy Price and Hakeem Adeniji working with Duke Manyweather, which I think Bengals fans are, are glad to hear because there's not a lot of, uh, let's say there's not a lot of love. There's not a lot of confidence in Jim Turner. Although the players, I will say this, when I've talked to the players on the Bengals, they love him. They, they really all have glowing things to say, and I think that you always would 
about your coach, but he doesn't have a great track record. And since you are watching all these offensive line, I thought I would get your thoughts on Jim Turner's track record, his ability to develop talent. If there's some hidden optimism that Bengals fans could maybe find with Jim Turner. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know a ton about him because he's, you know, kind of relatively, I mean, I don't know he's been coaching forever, but he's relatively new to, I guess, the NFL. I mean, I know he coached in college at Texas A&M multiple times, um, you know, and that he has a connection with some guys that are playing now. Um, so, you know, there's some positive there. You know, I guess you could talk about Jake Matthews, but, you know, he also coached Luke Jokel and Cedric Bowie. So, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, those guys didn't, you know, really pan out. Um, and then he, you know, was with Miami, I believe. Uh, and, you know, it just looks like over the course of his career, there hasn't been a lot of guys that he's developed at a high level or made better um, or, you know, like been a part of a lot of success offensively or things like that. Um, so just judging by that, I don't, you know, I don't talk to people who know him necessarily um, like I do for other coaches. Um, so I don't have as intimate of a knowledge there, but just looking simply at his ability to develop guys over the course of his career, there's just not a lot of it. So, and last year I, you know, I mean, Hopkins, you know, you could point to that. Um, you know, he, I think he was kind of a pleasant surprise in a lot of ways. So, you know, maybe there's something there that he's doing that he's contributing to, but you know, otherwise, it's kind of tough too to judge him just on last year because obviously a lot of injuries. There's like what seven or eight common offensive line combinations throughout the season. That type of stuff is it's hard. It's kind of hard to parse through. You know, I think we need yeah. to give it another year or two before we really kind of say. But I initially, you know, I would just kind of say he's probably in the bottom third or so of offensive line coaches. I think that's probably fair given his track record, especially at Miami. He just hasn't ever produced a, a great offensive line in the NFL, and, and it's hard to think that highly of him until he does, just just like you would for any coach of any unit. But you, you mentioned Trey Hopkins. It's a pleasant surprise. He's a guy that when I retweeted all your tier lists, there were Bengals fans saying, oh, he should be in tier four. He was an undrafted free agent out of Texas. He has come a very long way. What what kind of upside do you see for Trey Hopkins at this point in his career? He, he missed uh, some seasons early on with injuries, a bit of a late bloomer. Is there still upside there at the center position for the Bengals? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just because last year, you know, for him starting uh, for really the first time. And I mean, you know, I, well, not the first time. I mean, he's started the previous couple years as well. But um, last year was the first year he got full 16 games. And, you know, you, you really want to see a guy start for a full year um, and kind of see how they do a little bit up and down for him, but I think for the most part, you know, he was pretty solid. Um, the thing, the reason why I had him below average and which is tier five is because I, I do need to, I would like to see it again, um, at least for another half a year of him playing at a solid level. I, I certainly think he has solid aspects to his game, tier four aspects to his game, um, specifically like in the run game um, and some things in the past game as well. I think, uh, just the opposite of what we were talking about uh, with Xavier Suofilo, I think Hopkins' mental processing is one of his best traits oh, yeah. um, as a pass protector. Yeah, he recognizes uh, line games, and stunts, and blitzes really well. He's very patient in that. 
Um, and he does a nice job of maintaining his uh, spatial awareness kind of with his guard, not letting a lot of leakage through his gaps to his right and his left. So that was really impressive, uh, just how he's able to handle games and stuff like that. So I think that's one of the better traits of that in his game. And I certainly think that's probably even maybe at a tier three level, you know, but certainly tier four with potential to be tier three, you know, if you just see it a little bit more. Um, and then in the run game, what he does on the move, you know, how they featured him in the run game, mm-hmm. how he was able to pull and get out in space um, and, you know, line up and fit on linebackers and stuff like that. That's impressive. Um, not the greatest athlete, but he, I think he's very efficient in space, not a lot of wasted movement. And he does a nice job with the angles that he takes. And, um, you know, so he has enough athleticism, but, you know, I, I think he's pretty, uh, you know, I know it's a cliche, but I think he's pretty crafty in a lot of things that he does. He over, he's, he's pretty efficient. So those are, I think, the two positives that I saw, the biggest positives in this game that I saw on film. Now, the negatives are things that I don't know how he's going to really overcome. I don't really think he can. Um, he can maybe get it a little bit better, and that's well, obviously his size is what it is. You know, yeah. I mean, there's guys at his size that are good centers, and you know, so that are, you know, very good centers even. So it's not like it's you know, tiny or anything, but he does his build um, and, you know, his frame, it does look a little, I guess, kind of slender, like, uh, or well, what's the word? I mean, he's just kind of like an angular guy where he does, it looks like his base is kind of narrow. And it, mm-hmm. I think it contributes to his inability to anchor. Um, and, you know, part of that is technique as well and just really being able to drop his hips and get underneath guys and, you know, stop power. But that was probably the biggest struggle that I saw for him uh, was his inability to stop powerful bull rushers and stuff like that, um, you know, and, and really just high-level interior rushers that can push the pocket and get inside his frame and kind of control him pretty easily. So, you know, surrounding him by – you know, a guard like Xavier Suofilo, I think that's one of the aspects that can help him, you know, and provide a little bit of help, you know, physical, you know, a big, physical, strong guy who can kind of assist him, you know, when he's getting pushed into the quarterback's lap, which I think is just going to happen. Um, and in the run game as well, he's not going to generate a lot of movement. He's more of like a placement blocker, um, you know, where he just kind of gets in the way. And, you know, he, he's pretty good in zone in terms of, like, working his hips around guys and reaching guys. He's pretty good there. Um, you know, I, even though he's a Tier 5 guy, I know I wasn't able to expand on my reasoning for each pick in the tiers. But for mm-hmm. him, I think the arrow is pointed up. And I think that he has a pretty good chance of being a Tier 4 guy, in, in my opinion. You know, I just would like to see it a little bit more. So there's, there's something there. You know, I, I think he's probably – well, no, I, I think he's certainly the second best, you know, guy on the line, assuming, you know, and I'm assuming Jonah Williams is going to be that top guy. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially when you're in a division with Stefan Tuitt and last year Javon Hargrave, like some of the really good interior rushers that empower big, big guys that, that you have to face. So it's been an issue for right. Bengal centers, as long as I can remember, dealing with power from the interior, especially within the division. And and I think I agree with your assessment there on Trey Hopkins. He's he's really smart. He uses his tools as well as he can. And uh, he he's certainly on track to being, I think, a solid center, which, hey, we'll take he, solid for the Bengals offensive line right now. Because, I mean, let's talk about Mike Jordan, right? 
terrible start to his career, really, at left guard, but really young, has a lot of physical tools, maybe needed the mental game to catch up. Did you see progression in that rookie year that gives you any reason to think that he's going to be ascending? Because it seems like, to me, the physical tools are there if he can get it together from a processing perspective, from a hand usage perspective, from a, you know, correcting small things in technique perspective. Is that in his future as a young guy? I don't know, man. I mean, you know, we talked about him with Joe when I was on last year and I, you know, I pointed out some of the positives that you just mentioned that I also talked about. I think his pad level um, and his hands needed some work, but like to me, when I watch him man, he's, his pad level is really bad. I mean, he's playing high a lot and it looks like he's, it looks like he's young in that, like he's still learning his body. As funny as that might sound like he, sure. he just, you know, he just looks like he's still trying to figure out how to, to, to move in space properly. And, um, you know, I see him just kind of overrun guys too much and just kind of play sloppy. He just looks like he, he's not carrying his weight very well. And um, I don't know, man. I think he just plays too high. Guys get underneath him constantly, and he gets moved out of the way so easily. Um, you know, I don't really see a lot of mobility in his hips. And, um, you know, so I think he needs a lot of work uh, still. So while there's promise there because, you know, he, is, he has pretty good athleticism, pretty good size. And, you know, he does some positive things in the run game, you know, at times, but then other times it's like he's so up and down there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, Bengal fans and, you know, the team and everybody are going to have to be really patient. And I don't know how, you know, patient they can really be with somebody like that, especially in the division alongside of a center who also struggles with guys that are able to get underneath them and inside of their frame and, really just gain control of them so easily and just shed them, you know, and Jordan is just worse, you know, than, than Hopkins in that regard. Hopkins is better, but um, I think Jordan, you know, is the second, certainly the, probably the second weakest guy on the line. Um, Mm. And yeah, you know, he just has a lot of, a lot of uh, growing to do. Um, And I, I think it's going to take probably a couple of years, at least another year, you know, maybe 2021 where he can become like, you know, closer to solid. I think, I, I just, I think it's a ways away for him. From an age perspective though, that makes sense. He came into the league very young. And if he's, some of the things you talk about make sense for a guy that could still be actually maybe growing not too long ago, right? Like he's probably finished growing at this point, but Certainly his body composition on an NFL training program probably changed quite a bit. And so it wouldn't be surprising to me if some of those things that you're speculating about, like he, he's learning his body physically. That's, that's actually a thing. Like learning spatial awareness, body awareness is, is a, a part of athleticism that may be like an underrated thing that people don't think about. And as a yoga instructor, actually, like that's something I can definitely speak to is, is the more you're aware of your body. The, the better you're going to be with control of that body in, in really every way. Let's try to finish on a high note yeah. here with Jonah Williams, expected to be the best player on this offensive line in his first action. I know he didn't play last year. I know he's not on your tier list because of that. But let's just say some nice things about Jonah Williams before I let you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, so Jonah Williams was my number one tackle coming out of the draft uh, in 2019. And, you know, I think he's just an absolute technician. So that's kind of night and day with a lot of what you're used to seeing uh, last year with the Bengals offensive line. Um, I just think that he he has a game where I think he has a very high floor. Um, and that's obviously, you know, something that, is extremely valuable with offensive linemen because they don't get a lot of time to develop and they don't get a lot of, you know, nuanced technique uh, coaching uh, on to, at the pro level. Um, it's more about scheme and understanding your assignments and things like that. And then technique is kind of maybe, you know, secondary or things that you do in the offseason. So to have a guy who is very refined with his hands, his mental processing is very good. Um, his anchor, I think, is good. His hands are very good. He's, he's just a very good run blocker as well. Um, you know, I think elite level guys, like I think maybe like, you know, I had the schedule up a second ago, but I don't, uh, let me pull up the schedule here and just talk about guys that he could have trouble with. Um, uh, how about TJ Watt? You know, or, or, well, well TJ, TJ Watt, Watt, he's not going to see a lot. You know, TJ Watt primarily plays on the other side, but yeah, Watt can, you know, get trouble. Um, I was thinking somebody, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, Miles Garrett, obviously. I mean, every tackle in the league has trouble with him. Um, But yeah, you know, any elite level guy is going to give a guy who's playing his first snaps in the NFL trouble. It's just the way it goes. And, you know, I uh, particularly with him, the inside counters, I mm. think he's susceptible to that. So I was, I was trying to think in my head of rushers and great inside counters. The first name that came to mind was Chandler Jones, but you guys don't play uh, the Cardinals. But uh, certainly Bosa is, has great inside counters, and he can make some noise against him and, and you know, beat him, you know. so That's going to be um, his but, first game, you know, too, with no preseason. His first NFL action <laughs> is going to be against Bosa. Right. It's, yeah, both in and Grimm. So, and they both have very good inside moves. And yeah, so he's going to be tested right away. And, you know, people may, you know, he may get beat two or three times, four times, you know. And then, you know, of course, people are going to point to that as, you know, being huge concerns or whatever. And, I, you know, I, I guess it's good that we're talking about it and prefacing it because I think if that happens, I wouldn't worry about it really at all. I mean, you know, I'd say we just give him some time. Um, and I think he's going to be a really good run blocker right away. I think he's going to be a good pass blocker right away. But elite level competition, and specifically pass rushers who have really good inside counters, those guys will probably get in trouble as a rookie. And then I expect him to, you know, like I would any you know player, most players that are, you know, very good college players to evolve, adjust, and you know get better at that. So, yeah, man. I mean, he. The only thing is, you know, I I don't know that his ceiling is maybe necessarily an elite player. Yeah. I, you know, talked about that in my scouting report. I think, um, you know, his ceiling is probably in like a tier two guy, you know, being a very good tackle. Um, I expect him to be a tier three guy as a rookie and, you know, with the potential to become a tier two player, you know, soon. So, you know, I, I'm excited about him and, Hopefully that shoulder, that torn labrum is okay because, man, I think of Taylor Decker. He had a torn labrum, um, and I don't know if it's just because of that, but he really wasn't the same since. So, 
um, you know, not to end it on the down note, but that's just something that comes to mind because you know, when Decker had it, it seemed like he got messed up from it. He's still trying to figure out what, you know, how to regain how he looked before it. But, you know, could be a lot of other variables there at play as well. So just something that came up. But, yeah, as long as he's healthy, man, and that labor and shoulder are good, man, I think you have a above-average starter day one and, you know, could be a very good starter here in the near future. And they really need that. Because they, they didn't have that anywhere last year. They were, they were starting John Jerry, who, you know, never played left tackle in his career, had taken a year off, and, and oh, I know you from Miami. Why don't you come play left tackle for me? And it didn't go great. So Jonah Williams will be a great shot in the arm. I will say this to the Bengals' credit. It was a little frustrating that he didn't get to play at all his rookie year, but they really took a conservative approach to letting him rehab that labrum. A lot of players do come back from that injury a lot faster than taking a full season off. So hopefully that's enough for him to get fully healthy and really be the anchor for this offensive line that sorely needs one. Brandon, thanks so much for coming on and joining the show. We didn't get to talk about Billy Price. We didn't get to talk about Hakeem Adeniji. We didn't get to talk about Fred Johnson. We are out of time. We're actually over time because this has been so great. But a couple of those guys, well, one of those guys, two, no, two of those guys, Adenergy and Billy Price are working with Duke Manyweather. Do I have that right? Yeah, uh, I know Billy Price is still working with him. I don't know if Adenergy is doing that you know, now or was recently. Um, but yeah I, yeah, I can confirm that for you. So that is something that I think is really exciting. So maybe we'll have to have you back on sometime in the in the next few days or the next few weeks. And see if we can get some conversation around Billy Price, who was a first-round pick, and Bengals fans are still waiting to see if he'll pan out for anything. And Hakeem Adeniji, a sixth-round pick, who the co-host of this podcast, James Rapine, has currently uh, starting for the Bengals in week one at right tackle, which I guess anything could happen, but I think most fans are hoping for Fred Johnson. Brandon, thanks again so much for coming on. Always a treat to get your insight on offensive line play. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to doing it again. That's going to do it for tonight's episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, James and I, together to get you into the weekend. Unfortunately, before Duke Tobin addresses the media on Friday this week, but we will take your questions as we've gotten through the offense for the most part in our positional preview, and we'll resume with Brandon Thorne at some point to talk about some of these backups in the future But we're on to the defense next week and to your questions tomorrow. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.